0: Hey you, yeah you, if you or someone you know is struggling with anything mentioned on today's program, please, 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 please. email me at authentic1 at gmail.com. Dot com. That's A-U-T-H-E-N-I-C-K, the number one, at gmail.com. I am available 24-7-365 to help in any way that I can. I have resources, I have open ears, an open heart, and tons of hope. I've been freely given all these things and would love to give them to you. Be good to yourselves and each other. Follow me on Twitter using the handle at Authentic and my dog Marla on Instagram at DJMarla.Gene. During today's program, you will hear Alcoholics Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and Debtors Anonymous mentioned multiple times. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the individual do not reflect these 12-step programs as a whole. Please enjoy.
1: I, I can't get these memories out of my mind and some kind of madness started started to
0: Well, hi there. Welcome back to Authentic. Yay! The episode you are about to hear is part two of Irish Mike. In part one, you heard the experience portion of Mike's story as he talked about his recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, and a great many other things. Coming up, just after you hear me stop talking... And then start talking again, is the strength and the hope of Irish Mike's story. It's gonna be good. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to Authentic. Irish Mike, you gave me a perfect segue at the end of the last segment. You told your experience, you got to your bottom, you just couldn't do it anymore, and you asked your higher power, you asked Mm -hmm. God for help. What did your first step of help look like after asking God
2: for help? Oh, well, saying to my good friend Paul, there was this place down here where they have a pool table there because our last drinking had gone over going for a game of pool in a bar. Well, this was perfect because it was, you know, it was a, they had a pool table there, they served coffee and they didn't serve booze. So it was safe. That's when I act first walked into this place, which I only heard about, and was introduced to the recovery lifestyle. Let's just put it that way. Um, Apparently there's a secret, super secret, anonymous society out there of with people doing things like steps and stuff and service and other sorts of things that I found out all about later with these mean mean old bastard old timers. There is the strength right there. Those fucking mean ass bastard old timers. Folks, I got news for you. If your sponsor is not pissing you off on a regular basis, in my own humbling opinion based upon my experience blah, blah 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 blah. sponsors are supposed to piss you off they're supposed to make you look at shit you don't want to look at and more importantly take a look at yourself rather than blaming everybody else
0: how would you explain a sponsor to somebody that has no idea what the fuck you're talking about what is a sponsor
2: a sponsor is a person who has went through the program of the prog- of the 12 steps for recovery who can share with you their experience strength and hope and how they got there they do not fucking tell you what to do they share with you this is what i did this is my experience and for the record the. me You know, bastard old timers, God bless them, told me all kinds of cool stuff like that. You don't share your opinions, you share your experience.
0: What other kind of things were they telling you? How were you staying sober, Mike?
2: Interesting question, that. See, here's the thing, you know, when when we talk about the steps of recovery, you know, and I fully, 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 you, you just heard the story why, I fully understood that whole thing about being powerless. Okay, I got that shit. I didn't realize until later there was another half of the step. But, you know, I was absolutely powerless over alcohol. I got that loud and clear. And yet when I hang out with these crazy people talking about this crazy stuff, I didn't drink today. And that was one of the first things I heard is, Mike, you just don't don't worry about next week. Don't worry about the doctor's appointment. Don't worry about seeing the medical appointment. Don't worry about getting the job. Don't worry about any of that other shit. You just don't drink today. You don't drink a day at a time. And that was an introduction to the, what I later understood to be the spiritual principle of living in the fucking now, not in the, then or in the future, but now, right here, right now. And that's how I did it. I just do it a day at a time, hanging out with these, uh, these crazy ass uh, drunks who were sharing with me their experience and hope. And uh, we all sat together on the good ship lollipop, staying sober, we used to hang out at coffee shops. And I remember in early recovery, it was like I always got this overwhelming sense of relief at two o'clock, o'clock—it was safe. The bars are all closed. Now we can get shit. Yeah. Again, I'm primarily a drunk, so the bars are all closed. I'm hanging out with these other sober people. They're not sharing their whiskey with me, et cetera, et cetera. My first early, early year old recovery, basically just hanging out with these people. You no, know, For the record, by the way, um, I talked about how um, I used the sobriety date of, of December 7th. Another part of my story that you actually may not know this. I don't remember my first five days of recovery at all. I have a very, 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 very vague memory of being taken up, up into a house up in the hills somewhere. That's all I know. That's all I remember. I'm assuming I was going through pretty bad DTs. That's where I was introduced to the idea of uh, orange juice and honey. This is an old... For all you folks that don't know the old school program stuff, this is the welcome introduction to the old school stuff.
0: I want to pause you for a second. The the DTs you were talking about, those are yeah. delirium tremens. Yeah, DTs. Yeah, DTs. What, what is that? What does that look like? What does that feel like?
2: Oh, God. <laughs> it fucking sucks. <laughs> it hurts. It, it It is a pain... Like no other pain. Because it's not just a... It's a very deep physical pain. It's a very deep psychic pain. You shake like a motherfucker. You see shit. You see shit that ain't there. And you kind of think that it's not there. But you're not really sure if it's really not there or not. Because, you know, it's just... And for me, I didn't get the, the direct DT stuff where I actually see stuff. It was always on the edge. I would always be seeing weird shit on the very edge of my periphery. It was a big part of my DTs. And that much I do remember before I went into the fog of my first days of being sober. And I have very, very, very little memories of that. Orange juice and honey its an old school, old timer thing. And I later found out why they explained it. When alcoholics, and this is this is a theory of course, but when alcoholics drink alcohol, the alcohol is converted inside the brain to a, a very simple basic sugar. I don't know about studies in this, but this is what's been explained to me and it makes perfect sense as a nurse that inside the brain, we have this chemical thing that goes on that changes the alcohol to very simple, basic sugars. And then from there, it's changed the something else inside of our brains. Part of that whole craving process of, of you know, going through the DTs is you're craving that there's like some sort of a mixed connection, a missed connection between the alcohol being converted to the simple sugars to the other thing? Taking orange juice and honey, it, it, but by the way, just for the record, it fucking helps. Um, that's why they say in early recovery, it, Take lots of sweet things. Take lots of chocolate. If you ever notice, you're getting lots of cravings for like chocolate or sugar or sugary sweets. Or that's part. That's part of that whole process. Your your body is is kind of craving that that missing link of between sugars, simple sugars, to that other chemical compound inside the brain. And that's why it helps. But yeah, orange juice and honey helps with with the shakes. It helps with the tremors. It helps with the anxiety related to the uh, DTS. I can't remember it helping with the hallucinations. But then my hallucinations are very 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 foggy, so I don't have a whole lot memories of them but yeah it helps
0: as a nurse Mm -hmm. as your profession helping others when you see people come into hospitals for their detox which Uh is what you explained your your detox days it's a miracle that beyond all the other shit that happened before that Mm. it's a miracle that you made it through that detox process alive you can die from mm-hmm. from withdrawal off of alcohol. Mm-hmm. That yes, is a fact. Yes, it is.
2: There's a way to ease that, and that's part of why the, the orange juice and honey was the old school stuff. Nowadays, they give you Librium or um, something else. Librium I, is the big one. I was on Librium. Librium, yeah. yeah. The Librium kind of helps with the with the anxiety and the shakiness of that thing, and that's part of what you can do. Cause, as you say, if you go through serious DTs and you don't have somebody watching out for you, you can go into seizures and you can die. Yes.
0: After going through your detox up in the woods mm-hmm. with the guys, mm-hmm. yeah. what was next? You said you were part of this twelve-step secret society, this
2: super-secret society of people who are all completely anonymous. You know, let's talk about Irish Mike, shall we? Let's do it. Here's the thing, vote. I had, you know, I was pretty much freshly off the boat from Ireland. By the way, um, I my action's just about gone. I had a very, 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 very thick accent, apparently. So at the group that I got got together with, um, we had all these different people had different nicknames. Because, you know, when you first come in, it is anonymous. You don't let people know who your last name is. A lot of people got nicknames. Like, I was Irish Mike. My first sponsor was Tall Bill. We had Under the Bridge Bob. We had T-Bird Joe. We had all these great nicknames. And I I, I have such very, very dear fond memories of all these people. Tall Bill, T-Bird Joe, and, you know, Under the Bridge Bob. (laughs) All these great old guys, man. Right? they were great, great bunch of guys.
0: So these guys, beyond taking you through these 12 steps of mm-hmm, recovery, mm-hmm. what else were they doing to help you?
2: I remember when I first got into this you know, this recovery process program group of people, the Super Secret Society of Anonymous Folks. Up until that point, I had always, always, always felt out of sort, out of ways, not part of the norm, didn't fit in, all that stuff that, that you hear people talk about. All of a sudden, it was like, I see this in new, new people all the time, very much on purpose. This is exactly what happened to me. I was home. I finally fit. I was finally at home, as these mean old bastards would say, in a very loving, very gentle, very firm way. Let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. And that's exactly what those guys did. They loved me until I could learn to love myself. And by being a bunch of mean bastards, tell me stuff I didn't want to hear. Tough love is a very real thing.
0: Being in early recovery, there's a lot of talk about this service. Mm-hmm. Got to be of service. Got to get outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. What sort of service work were you doing to help others?
2: Oh, get, well, of course, there's the whole there's the whole idea of coming to a meeting and putting your ass in a seat is by definition an act of fucking service because you're not just there to help yourself get sober. Because if I had to shoot up in a room full of empty seats with nobody else there, where the fuck would I be? That's the whole thing. When people first come to the program and they see other people who are actually getting their asses sober and keeping their asses sober, that is by itself is an act of service. I do know that I was told, like I was saying to you earlier, I was told on very, un- very clear, very certain terms, you are not allowed to say no to the recovery program. If the recovery program asks you for help and if somebody needs help, unless you have a good reason, i.e. you have to go to work or, you know, some sort of reason like that, you have to go. You fucking have to go. Got a great story for you. Imagine that. I got a bunch of great stories for you on, on this whole issue. Service is such a big, huge, important part of my recovery program because it's how I was taught. And when I did it, it was like, holy shit, this is what these guys are talking about. The shit actually works. I was told, again, you know, again, you're not allowed to say no, right? So I would hang out at this super secret society club of crazy anonymous people. The Freedom Fellowship. We got a call, and they were part of the whole 12-step. They were on the whole 12-step list of people called. And so I'm sitting at the desk. No, I'm sitting. I'm not the, I'm not at the desk. I'm, I'm sitting in the coffee shop, little coffee area right beside the pool table, the famous pool table. We got a call. Hey, hey, Irish, Irish Mike. Hey, listen, Um, we got a 12-step here, and it's a wet one, okay? And I was also told, by the way, for the record, 12 steps, you can go on on your own. If they're a wet one, you are fucking not allowed to go alone. You're just not.
0: So what is this 12-step call? What is a wet one?
2: A wet one is somebody who is currently in the process of actively drinking who is trying to reach out for help to stop himself from drinking. So why do you go? He's drunk.
0: So why do you go?
2: I was there and they called and they said someone needed to go. And I was told that you're not allowed to say no. You're going to get a grilled chuckle out of this. Not, I, was, I was about maybe six months sober at the time. I had to go, I had to go on this uh, this 12-step and was a white one. So I was like, okay, well, I know the rule. You know, I remember being told, you know, my sponsor told me, you can't do it alone. You know, you have to bring somebody with you. So there was another guy there. i um, Bob, Bob, under the bridge of Bob. Bob. Great guy. He was dressed up very, pro- and I'm, I'm, I'm like Let's put it this way. I had many people in early recovery, and for the first couple, three, four, five, ten years of my recovery, I was told that I pretty much looked like a street rat because I came from that urban biker sort of, I guess, kind of who and what I was, and I was hanging out with sober bikers and blah blah blah. Well, this guy was in in a very nice brown three piece suit, looking very nice, very professional, and I went, oh, Bob, hey, listen, I've got a just wet twelve step, and I've been told I can't go along. So can you come with me? So he goes, Oh, he's a like, Okay, he goes. So I go. Okay, no, I know we're supposed to bring a big book, right? Okay, so if we, you know, get this book, bring a book, you know, and bring somebody else with you. So you know, went toddling off, and it was actually it was a um, a mobile home park right beside the VA in Palo Alto, in California. We get to the place, and we get to the guy there, and so I turn to Bob and I said, "Okay, Bob, so now how do we do this anyway?" And the guy looks at me and says, What the fuck are you talking about? I go, Well, how do you do this 12-stepping thing? He goes, Dude, I'm sober two weeks, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Two guys in early recovery that Mm -hmm. really don't know what the fuck they're doing or what they're supposed to be doing or what the fuck. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do? What do you guys do?
2: We went in and we shared our experience, strength, and hope. And what was... We brought a meeting to the guy's mobile home park.
0: Right. But what was that experience, strength, and hope you shared with this guy? You two being in early recovery, what was your message? What were you sharing with this guy?
2: You just don't drink a day at a time. You don't take the first fucking drink no matter what. At my old group, I had this one guy. I and mean, I love this guy because he was like just so nuts on this is the way. Um, he says, you know what, folks, in this program, and I use this one a lot in my early recovery, the ones in this program are the ones that don't f- drink, fix, or use the trigger, pull the trigger no matter what. You don't drink, you don't shoot dope, you don't blow your fucking head off no matter what. And was later explained to me that don't you fucking, and those of you, by the way, in early sobriety who are going through tough times, um, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, for fuck's sakes, do not fucking kill yourself, and I'll tell you why. You don't know who the fuck you're even killing. You have no idea who the fuck you are as a human being, and you've no idea the the trials, tribulations, and the absolute fucking joy you're going to be experiencing in this thing called recovery. Don't fucking drink, don't you know fix or do whatever dope it is you're doing. and don't pull the fucking trigger to your head no matter what. And that's also part of my story, but not pulling the trigger no, no matter what. When we get to the fourth step stuff, we, we went there and I, and I was laughing. He's still sober by the way. By the way, the moral of this story is is that the guy that who did the calling, I have no idea if the guy ever made it to a meeting again, no idea. The bottom line is that I didn't drink that day, Bob didn't drink that day. And that's kind of what I was told, and I've got another little story about that whole concept um, in in a kind of a a reverse way of that. Another guy called Bob, now that I think about it. I was actually living in Michigan in the UP, and I was sober at this time. I'd say about, oh, God, Lord, I was a brand new nurse, so it was about 10 years sober, roughly, 10, 11, somewhere around there. And I'm living up in the rural, rural Michigan, and um, I put myself on the 12-step list. So I got a call, and this is a wet one. So I'm not going, okay, well... Fuck, I know the rule. Not allowed to go along. So I'm still going by the rules that these old, mean old bastard old timers gave me, which I've held on to since that, because that fucking works. And I was going to a little, a little group there, another group of super secret super secret, anonymous folks there up in the UP as well, who were not drinking also. One of the people who was there was a, a regular there. Let's just say was having some struggles with that whole concept of not taking the first drink, no matter what. Called him and said, you know, Hey, Bob, listen, I've got i got a 12-step and this guy's wet, so I need someone to come with me. And his response was, you know, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to do that there, man. You know, I had always been told, you know, just don't say no, you know? And I was, quite frankly, I was fucking horrified that this guy was saying fucking no. And the moral of this story is, and it's not a judgment on this guy at all, but it is an observation that that guy continued drinking. And the other guy that I did call, who fucking did drop everything he was doing to come help me to help this other guy, um, is also still sober. The funny thing about that particular story (laughs) was they were at the guy was asking us to bring him to the local um, detox there you know him and his old lady were like fighting because he was drunk out of his mind him and his old lady are fighting away and doing their thing and his last words says yeah well fuck you too bitch that was his parting words to his wife as he was being taken off to detox i'll never forget that moment the, the bottom line is that if you are called to help another person in recovery you do it if you have a real reason like you know you have to be at work or you know something like that then that's legitimate bottom line got another story my sponsor, Tall Bill. God bless that man. Bill. Bill was um, taught in the same school of, of recovery as I was. The old school son. When you first ke- come come into the pro- recovery program, and you know you're like going, well, let me tell you what I'm thinking. you know, and it was it was a matter of you know, very gently, very lovingly, but very firmly. Son, sit down, shut the fuck up, and listen. We don't want you, what you got. You want what we got. If you want what we got, sit down, and shut the fuck up, and listen. Oddly enough, when you do that, you start to learn some shit about recovery rather than spewing your own fucking crazy ass opinions and ideas which got you there in the first place. So anyway, Bill was, um, you know, I, w- I was, I was, I had my sponsee. Um, God, what was his name? Steve. 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 So Steve was, um, He and I was doing the thing with him. So, you know, does it do? You do service. You do recovery. You do the steps, blah, blah, blah. Steve called me one day and he goes, and he's like in a panic. He goes, Mike, I don't know what the hell to do. I'm here at my house. I had some guy that I was trying to help. You know, kind of like, you know, you talked about, you know, helping these guys and giving service and blah, blah, blah. Well, I let him into my house and he stayed overnight and I woke up the next morning. And there's fucking vodka bottles everywhere. The guy <laughs> drunk out of his mind. I don't know what, the, what am I going to do? He was like, he panic. So I I was, at that time, my first ever, I was homeless for my first, I don't know, six months, a year or whatever of recovery, staying on the couch of that super-secret society club of anonymous people, I slipped on the couch there. Thank you, Pat Johnson. You're passed on. I can see your name now. She, a lovely lady, actually put me up for six months in my early, early recovery on the on the couch because I was homeless. Um, but anyway, I go to, you know, knock on, on Bill's door, you know, because he, he was ahead of his bedroom. I had my name. Bill, Bill, what? Bill, listen, man, I, I, got a, I got a 12-step. It's a wet one. And inside, I hear Bill go, Fucking alcoholics. I'm going to give the the un, the, the tradition-cleansed version of this. Fucking alcoholics. Fucking recovery programs. Fucking drunks. Fucking 12 Steps. God damn it. <laughs> and he comes out, and he's laughing as he's coming out. And he goes, goes Could they, everybody at that time called me Mikey, either Irish Mike or Mikey. He goes, hey, Mikey, look what I was just reading when you banged on the door. There's a part in this Super Secret Society's book that talks about, and I'm going to paraphrase here, it says, there will be times we'll be called all sorts of hours of the time of day and night, which would be completely out of your comfort zone and completely uncomfortable for you and completely, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you will go and you will do it anyway. And he says, I was fucking reading that when you knocked on the goddamn door. I went, well, let's go then. We helped Steve out and got the guy out. And, you know, the moral of the story is, is that... I'm 90% sure I haven't talked to Steve in a long time. Steve's still sober. I'm still sober. Tall Bill are still sober.
0: You talk about the mean old bastard old timer approach.
2: Yeah. God love those guys.
0: It's that It's that tough love mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. worked for you. Yes. It doesn't work for everybody. No, it though.
2: doesn't. No, And, and, I, and I, I agree with you. In fact, I understand that completely.
0: How do you help someone that doesn't respond to that tough love? I'm talking about you yeah. personally. Oh, me
2: Percy. Oh, well, okay. I am a little bit old school on this one here.
0: Yeah, of course you are. I, I want to yeah. know how you would.
2: Oh, I will tell him this. She, again, is all about experience, check, and hope. This is what worked for me. If you find that this isn't going to work for you, then by all means, feel free to go somewhere else. If you're looking for, you know, puppy, puppy dogs and kisses, you're not going to get it from me. If you want to give the simple, tr- true, brutal, honest truth, I'm your guy. And in fact, my wife, who's also in recovery, we actually talk about this quite a bit because she is one of those people where she wouldn't have. She responded very well to the exact opposite of just nothing but love and encouragement and positive reinforcements and and Hazelden's a bunch of horse shit. I'm sorry, did I say that?
0: Sustained. I'll allow it.
2: Okay, sustained. So that is something that worked for her. It could not and would not have worked for me. I know what did work for me, and I'm, I'm the kind of person where I definitely didn't need that. I recognize that just like that Super Secret Society's book tells us, we don't have all the answers, and I take that in, even in my own recovery. I know what has worked well for me. I do know that the approach that I was given has worked very, very, very well for large numbers of people. I'm trying, I'm trying to be as couching as gentle as I can. If people are given a certain softer approach, I know how I am, I'll manipulate that shit until I can get what I want, because that's how my brain works. And they need that very simple, very direct approach of this is... We're not going to talk about what you did wrong. We're going to talk about what I did wrong, because that's what I was taught. You don't look at somebody else. You don't look at what they did. You look at what you're... You clean up your side of the street, and what that other person does with whatever it is you got going on is their gig. It's not yours. You clean up your side of the street because you cannot clean up their side.
0: You said your wife is in recovery. Yes. What is helpful about having a partner, a wife, in recovery? What's What's important about that to you? What is What's helping... You with having a wife in recovery?
2: The fact that we get to go, um, the fact that we're both in recovery and are so, by definition, living a spiritual program, a deeply open spiritual program, where like it's not confined to religious dogma or any other nonsense, but it's our own, each unique individual understanding of how the Creator works, is what works very, 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 very well.
0: What isn't helpful about having a wife in recovery?
2: Honey, are you listening to this? No. No, 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 you're not. Go ahead, go ahead, honey. Say what you want. Uh huh. Yeah. Say it. You're not authentic. My old lady ain't gonna say that. <laughs> Actually, all kidding aside, um, what's not helpful? I can't think of anything. I honestly can't think. You know, recovery. You know, I mean, I've got other very important aspects of my life. You know, I've got my career as a, as a nurse, or as you know, my my political work to am doing a lot of these days for so many obvious reasons, are all very, very important to me. When you rewind back to it, at the end of the day, the bottom line, heart and soul, what is more important to me than anything else in this world is my own personal recovery, which means that, by definition, my, which is so much more than just being sober. It is continuing to develop and build and uh, continue to establish that relationship with the power greater than myself. That's central to my
0: life. The relationship with the power greater than yourself also manifests Mm. itself in the human beings around you. Yes. How do you wish to be supported by those around you that are not working a recovery program, to the best of your knowledge?
2: Well, actually, Ollie, you should mention that. I talked about where I came from, the whole criminal background, blah, 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 blah. I am a nurse. I've been a nurse for, God, almost 25 years now, I think. Yeah, almost 25 years. Yeah, just about 25 years I've been a nurse now. Being a nurse, the nursing profession is... It's built upon the strong, firm foundations of raging codependency. A lot of nurses are raging codependents, putting other people's needs above themselves. That's kind of the heart and flow of what nursing is. There is a lot of CD issues within the medical professional and the nursing profession, a lot of it. When I was in nursing school, now of course, I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict and I'm also coming from a very strong criminal background. Having said that, I figured out how to divert narcotics the second day of my being in the school. It's fucking easy. You want to go steal dope? It is so fucking easy. I'm not surprised there's not more dope fiends in the the medical profession. There's a lot of fucking dope fiends out there. I'm surprised there's not more. It's so fucking easy. And it's not an indication of how bad the medical system is. It's just that it's the nature of the beast and the way that our brains work. How can you stop somebody from taking a syringe, taking it out of the morphine vial, and filling that vial back up with saline? How can you stop people from doing that?
0: Why didn't you do that?
2: Because I'm in recovery.
0: You never had a crazy thought. It's like, well, I mean, one pill wouldn't hurt. No. No one would see it. No. Never. Never. Why do you think that is?
2: Here's a simple, very direct answer. We have a daily reprieve dependent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition.
0: How do you maintain that spiritual condition on a daily basis?
2: Being honest to myself, to whom and what I am. And so, by definition, following and believing in and hoping in faith and trust that the Creator of us all is indeed in charge of my life, because I've given the Creator permission to do that, and follow the guidelines, which at the end of the day lie deep, 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 way, way, way down deep, past all the bullshit inside my own heart.
0: You mentioned that spirituality, religious dogma isn't included mm-hmm. in this super secret society of anonymous people. Yes. So your spirituality Mm -hmm. is completely different from mine, from everybody else around you. Mm -hmm. If it's different from everybody else around you, I don't understand. How does that work? How does your spirituality benefit somebody that has a completely different conception, a completely different idea of what their spirituality is? How does your spirituality help other people if they're conceived of two different things?
2: Simple. Because I'm not giving away my understanding of the creator. I'm letting them develop their own understanding of the creator. That's how this fucking thing works. That's why you're supposed to share your experience, not your opinions. I am, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess the not it wouldn't be the, the correct term isn't an, isn't an agnostic. I'm actually like to think I'm, I'm more closer to the um, in my own crazy Irish Catholic, loving the the dogma and the and the the mysticism of the church and all that, even with all the other crazy stuff. Even taking all that off the table, or, or even making that a part of this conversation. Of my understanding of the Creator is very close, very very close to the Hebrew understanding of the Creator, which is I have no. faith fucking idea. Not only do I have no idea it's fucking arrogant to me as a fucking human being to think that I have an understanding of the creator. That's kind of the heart and soul of who and what I am with my understanding. creator. I have no idea what the creator is. How does this thing work? Works very well. Thank you very much.
0: Beyond your spirituality, beyond your spiritual life, beyond your seeking of this creator, there's also that emotional and mental element that comes along with it. That physical thing with being physically addicted and right. recovering from that addiction mm-hmm. is a whole different animal. You mentioned you earlier that <clears throat> you got some help recognizing your emotions doing some work yes, on that yes. was that therapy what, therapy yes yeah, yeah. What, what was that what was helpful about therapy for you
2: oh my god in heaven um well as you had heard earlier I had some traumatic experiences as a child and as an adult and as a and as a you know, growing up I, I had some pretty you know, again I recognize now as being fairly traumatic experiences, um not normal. Was actually diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder. PTSD. That was incredibly helpful for that. Not only um, not only am I recovering alcoholic and drug addict, I'm also reco- I'm recovering um alcoholic drug addict, codependent, adult child of an alcoholic, gambler, debtor, and sex addict as well. As well as having post traumatic stress disorder, I probably have a little ADD as well, but I'm fine with that. It makes me happy.
0: Uh, what? Where?
2: I, yeah, yeah. what? What? Squirrel? What? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That.
0: What sort of skills were you acquiring from this therapy that you were receiving?
2: The skills I acquired from therapy helped me to, number one, verbalize what happened to me growing up. Say it out loud. Recognize that it was real. Recognize also that it's not fucking okay. It is really fucked up what happened to me as a child. You know what? I got a great another story for you. Shall we go down that little road speaking of such things?
0: One foot in front of the other.
2: Baby. Okay. So now um, I'm, I'm clean and sober, 34, coming up. We'll be 35 years on December 7th if I, take, mm-hmm. if I take it a day at a time.
0: We had an argument in the parking lot. And I was right, you fucker. Sober.
2: <laughs> and I was right, you fucker.
0: Well, in my defense... Yes. The no. last The last, no. time, the last time you had. I know where you're cake. going with this. Yes. The last time yes. Irish Mike had. Yes. A recovery birthday. Yes. He was confused how was... long he had been sober, yes. and he put yes. the number of years on he the thought cake. he had been sober on a cake that he bought. Yes. That he put yes. on the number of years that he thought he had been sober. Not only did he do at, that, at, he added a year.
2: And it was the wrong fucking number.
0: <laughs> he added a year to yes. how many years he thought yes. he was sober
2: it really is 35 that's, years now
0: that's why we had the argument yes but yes. it's not 35 years yet it not won't yet. be 35 years until december 7th
2: and, and date a time
0: anyway your story so
2: yeah what was why to help squirrel squirrel what Uh huh. <laughs> yeah when i was you know it was this is shortly after i'd done my very first fourth step
0: and, and what is this fourth step that you've mentioned a couple times oh,
2: now oh yeah 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 basically it, the fourth step Is the concept behind it, or is is taking a a a fearless moral inventory? Mine's was a fear-filled immoral inventory, but you know.
0: (laughs) Never heard
2: you say that. No, no, no. Never said that. No.
0: I love it.
2: I was absolutely goddamn terrified. I'll, let's do the lead up to that. So I was actually sitting there. It was, and I had, you know, just for the record, folks. Those of you who are out there listening and kind of thinking, people have talked about this fourth step, but I have none of yet. And oh my God, I can't move. You know, the stuff that we, the the committee that goes inside of our heads. I have been trying and trying and trying about it for about a year and a half to do a fourth step, and never could get it. I just couldn't do it. I just, it just, just wasn't that happening. And it wasn't. I was trying, and I'm doing all the things. Nothing was coming out. At about 15 months of sobriety I was at that club of that secret super secret society of anonymous folks and I was sitting there by myself and I'm thinking to myself you know what I'm going to go down to uh, the sporting goods store I'm going to buy myself a shotgun I'm going to blow my fucking head off I can't take this shit anymore I cannot take my brain anymore
0: What is it that you couldn't take? What was going on?
2: The absolute insanity going inside my brain It was a fucking ping pong ball of confused thoughts going every which way except the right way and absolutely insane feelings about myself and this is the insanity you're about, to, you're about to peek inside the insanity of who and what I was back then. At one time, you know, now, I told you I was a sex addict, right? Sex and love addict. I was also still trying to do this whole Christian thing. So, you know, I'm trying to do the Christian thing and be pure and all of that stuff, which doesn't work. doesn't work for me. At one point, it said inside the Bible, you know, talked about which dude was the dude that went up and, and went up to you know the mountain and was going to chop off his son's head.
0: That would be Abraham, Abraham. Abraham.
2: Yes. The Abraham story. So I'm doing the Abraham story inside my head. Isaac.
0: He was going to kill Isaac.
2: Isaac, yes. Abraham was going to kill his son to prove to God that he was, because, you know, and then it's also said some in the Bible, if your eye causes you to offend thee, then pluck it out. Well, since I had this thing called a penis that wanted to do things that was obviously pure and impure from God and blah, 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 I was going to chop off my penis. I was a bad, immoral person. That kind of insanity was running around inside my brain, inside my heart, and inside of who and what I, I was. By the way, remember I said how, folks, how don't, don't you know, kill yourself because you don't even know who you are for the first few years as a bride? This is part of what I'm talking about. I didn't even know who the hell I was back then. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. So anyway, I was planning to uh, do a shotgun, blow my head off, and instead I decided to try and do this fourth step. We're just going to do it, right? Just like I shared with a certain individual, the way to do the fourth step. Is you sit down with the understanding that you're going to be turning your will and your life over to the care of your loving creator as you understand that creator to be. And then you get a piece of paper. You put the pen in your hand. This is what I explained to me too. That little scenario I gave with you is what I was given to me.
0: That's how I explain it to everyone I work with. <laughs>
2: and it works. Sure yeah. shit does. I, I took the pen on my paper. I took the pen in my hand. I put the paper on the ground. I put the, the pen to the paper and I started fucking writing.
0: What were you writing?
2: Okay, so my first ever fourth step was 73 pages long. Filled with all sorts of dark, deep, evil, vile things. Things about myself. I looked inside myself. I looked and said. I remember focusing on every dark nook and cranny inside myself. That's what the book says to do. And so I did that. All this stuff came out. And it was all rotten stuff I had done, rotten things I thought, rotten things about me, rotten things I thought about the world. And I dug it all out. And I dug it all out. And I dug it out. I basically emotionally vomited all over this page, including, by the way, um, some highly illegal things, including the stuff I told you about, which would make me go to prison for a long time. It all came out on that piece of paper. And so I looked at it. You know being a criminal so it was like a signed confession so i signed it and i dated it and then i fucking lost it and i was like oh my god in heaven well I, i'm like i'm like no 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 you don't understand brother if the mountain view police department gets a hold of this i'm never getting out of fucking prison Ever.
0: might take a while to read it.
2: It might take a while to read it. The California Secret Society of Anonymous Folks talks about what they call the post stamp stuff. And that means there's that, instead of all that stuff, there's that one thing, that one little thing that you got that you either said or did or done or thought or whatever or what you haven't said to yourself, there's something that you are so deeply ashamed of that you don't just hide it from everybody else, you hide it from yourself. And they said that's the most fucking important thing to get out there and get out into the fucking open. And so I had that there, and I know exactly what it is, and I'm not gonna tell anybody else who it was. The only person who knows that is my sponsor, Ryan. Maybe you and I will talk about it someday, but that's a whole other conversation. If we haven't, I don't think we talked about it. Yeah, I don't think we did actually. But anyway, I got that all out. The whole point of the story being is that um, I got all this stuff out. And um, and I was out in the open, and I got and I found it again, thank God, and did it with my sponsor at that time, Ryan. And I was so deeply ashamed of everything I'd written down on that on that thing. And Ryan just said, "Okay, talked about the sixth and seventh step. On you go. Now go on to the eighth step." That was exactly what he did. And I started you know, I'm quoting this stuff, and I going, "What the fuck is this man talking about? Fucking stock instead of a fucking store? What the fuck is this? he was quoting from the fucking Big Book?" Is what he was doing. Great, great man. Shortly after that, you know, I had all the stuff dug out was sort of like whole old stuff out there. Part of, I told you, that, you know, how I grew up with, you know, the childhood and the violence and the whole violence at home, violence outside in the streets. I am not Mr. Foo-Foo, as you very well know. In fact, this whole sort of like new, age, new agey, sort of new wavy, sort of like wavy gravy crap. Getting in touch with your inner child and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I th- I'm like, what a bunch of horseshit. What the fuck are these people talking about? After getting their fourth step done, when you get that garbage cleaned up out of your heart and soul, this is where you start to find who the fuck you really are. That's the whole fucking point, really, in my own humble opinion, based upon my experience. After going through all that, and I wasn't looking for this. I was not looking for this, what I'm about to tell you guys. But as God's my witness, I found way the fuck down deep inside of me, the child that I had been as a child, and who had been so fucking badly injured, and so badly scarred, and so fucking lied to, and so abused, and not the way it's supposed to be, really fucked up sort of stuff. And I realized that this child, that who was me growing up had been lied to so completely and so completely and vilely treated growing up that he didn't trust fucking anybody. No adults were to be trusted. And this is me meeting me as a child. When I came to that understanding, very, very deep, very deep moment, I realized this child had been lied to and couldn't trust anybody. And I said to this child who was me, I said, you know what? I'm going to prove to you that you can trust me. And I quit smoking. That's how I fucking quit smoking. That was my way to say to this little child who was me, I'm going to fucking take care of you because nobody else ever fucking has. And that was that act of like quitting smoking, which is so fucking hard to do, but was my way of saying to this child, I'm going to take care of you because nobody else ever fucking did. I don't think I've ever told you that story, have I? Yeah, well, there you go. That's how I quit smoking. I've been making amends to my child.
0: After making this... Searching in fearless, moral inventory of yourself.
2: Searching, f- fearful, immoral, yes.
0: Yes, for you. For me, completely, sick, yeah. sick Irish fuck. <laughs> yeah, you know. After doing that, how... Were you able to move on from that, writing down 73 pages of your shit, mm-hmm. shit that nobody else knew about, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, it's out in the light of day, you've read it to another human being, you've admitted it to your creator. What was helpful about not only putting that out into the sunlight, what did that information- Oh,
2: I know where you're going with this.
0: Where am I going with
2: this? I'll tell you where you're going with this, because I think I may have told you this or caught this guy. Con- so here's the thing, we alcoholics, because of the nature of who and what we are and because of the kind of lives we leave and kind of the shit we do with other people and hiding from other people and blah, 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 this alcoholic has Always fucking lied to everybody. I've always blamed everybody else for what was going on. It was always somebody else's fault. Perfect example. My my God bless my mother. My mother was the world's greatest codependent in the world. Would always talk about how the cops were such bastards and blah 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 blah. Well because of the program recovery of recovery and specifically the fourth step and then the fifth step. For the first time in my fucking life, instead of blaming somebody else, the cops, the judges, the, the wife, the you know the, the the boss, the you know whoever, what did I do to make this? situation where we're at right now. fourth step and then the fifth step is the very first beginnings of that lifelong process of taking a look at your fucking behavior instead of blaming everybody else for where you're at. And that's the answer for me is that simple. It's the start of that process of looking inside yourself, looking at yourself and questioning yourself, your motives, your behaviors, you're doing this, you're doing that, what's okay, what's not okay. And part of this part of the whole sex and love act, an anonymous thing too. Things that you do that are not okay and then finding out and this is where it gets really kind of tricky and fun and really very wonderful in many ways, is finding out what is your bottom line behavior, what is acceptable to you, not what is acceptable to the Catholic Church, not what is acceptable to, you know, the, the crazy Christian folks. What is not acceptable to the swingers club is not is not acceptable to the rapists. No, what is behavior that is acceptable to you? What is it you're okay with within your own behavior as a human being and how you treat other people? And what is okay for you? What is it you can be happy with and content with and live with? Where's that fucking line that you just don't fucking cross? And that's what the program has given me. The ability to understand where that line is, know where that line is, and the joys of living Within your own integrity and living within that line. It's a fucking beautiful thing. I like who I am. I often talk at, at with my group of friends that I meet on Friday. We all know the look. We've all had different variations of the look, but we all get the look of either contempt, anger, or worse, pity. Like when you're lying there covered in piss and puke, you get either disgust or looks of pity. And you give them to yourself as well, obviously. Nowadays, I don't get looks of disgust or anger or pity. And more importantly, I don't give myself those looks either. I like the spiritual being that I have become. Am I perfect? No. Am I this godlike figure who sits in the wind with the with the with the white robe with the gold trim with the breeze gently blowing through the spiritual guru? No, no, I'm not one of these. I try to be. It's a nice goal. I also recognize that I am and I'm I'm just an ordinary guy. And I like this ordinary guy. I like whom what I've become.
0: That was just a beautiful answer. But that wasn't the question I was going to mm. ask. The question I was going to oh. ask is, what's your favorite side with steak? Uh, but Mashed potatoes. Good call. Yeah. Good call. With
2: butter. Yeah. And salt and pepper.
0: Salt and pepper.
2: A little steak sauce. A little hot sauce. 57. No, sure. no, no, no. Not for the steak.
0: That's a great answer. But I, yeah. I thought so. I just wanted to know what you like with your steak. Hey, Mike. Oh, ho, ho, yo. Hey, ho. Thank you so much for sharing your strength. Strength. So much help in there. Quite a bit of hope, so I'm mm. going to stop you right there. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about my favorite four letter right word. Right no, on. it's not fuck. It is H O P E. Hope.
2: Hope you very much. <laughs>
0: one last time to authentic we are here with irish mike
2: hi hey, diddy, diddy, hey.
0: hi hey mike
2: hi
0: hey let's talk about some hope you want to talk about some hope
2: i hope we were gonna talk about that oh
0: yay so much hope what is it that you do today to further and nourish your sobriety, you talked about these twelve-step meetings. What are you doing outside of that to further and to nourish this spirituality that you talk about?
2: I gotta tell you, Nick, I am so truly blessed in that. In that particular question, I am a nurse, um, and just for the record, part of my story was that um, when I was a child growing up, in that very very poor neighborhood, yada yada yada. Um, I used to sit there as a ten-year-old child in a little in the middle of a war, and I would read medical textbooks, books about you know fixing the human body. I fascinated by, I, I'm a smart little fucker. I mean, I know I got a brain, right? Well, I was always fascinated with the idea of, of mending the human body. Of course, you know, I'm a Catholic from Northern Ireland and Catholics in Northern Ireland are supposed to dig ditches. That's that's our lot in life. And for many years, I did indeed dig ditches or I, I was a punch press operator. I was a baker butcher for a while. Many, many years, I was a hod uh, carrier for the bricklayers, old, you know, menial construction jobs. Then I got to Welcome to America. And and in America, um, I discovered that if I wanted to, I could go back to school. And school? I was a fucking high school dropout. I could go to school, do whatever it is I wanted to be. I kind of knew, knew that. I, w- I was looking at it initially, and I was like, I was fascinated with medicine. I was fascinated with journalism. And I was, what's the other one? It was three of them. I remember the time. But It must medicine, not have
0: been that fascinating.
2: It was at the time. It really, truly was. It was <laughs> Oh, law—that's it, law. Yeah, oh. I was fascinated with the area of law.
0: I wonder why.
2: Well, yeah, I fought the law, and the law won. I was like looking at those three basic areas. Well, I was looking at it. I always you, already had the predisposition towards you know medicine because of what I did as a child. Took some college courses and did one of these little standard surveys for you know what would you, what, what would be the best for you to do as a career? The psych test and all that shit. All that shit. Oddly enough, it said I'd be I'd be good as a nurse, and I went, yeah. For one thing, if I had been born at a different time, in a different class, if I was born richer and with all the all the other stuff that we had talked about, I would probably be a doc. I'd probably be a surgeon somewhere. At that time, I'm like 30-something years old. I have a young family. I didn't feel it would be right for to put my family through through medical school because, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. So I thought it would be a good compromise to become a nurse. Thank you, boss. Best fucking decision I ever made in my gut. Would I have been a good doc? Yeah. I mean, I would. I would have been a good doc and, and I would have enjoyed it. I fucking love being a nurse. I absolutely love being a nurse. Why? The question you just asked is the answer. That's the fucking answer. It touches that part of my soul that I know is there. In my nursing career, I know that I have... Helped other human beings who are going through horrifying traumatic experiences, and I've gotten them through the other side. I did many, many, many years—about 15 years, I think. Um, yeah, about 15 years. I did primarily burn and trauma intensive care. I did that shit for a long, long time. I'm an old burn and trauma mama, dealing with people who who have been through those sorts of situations, and I've got the ability—you know—that ability to turn your mind off. And just focus on the task. That's how you get shit done. And how to do it quickly. And I've got a smart enough brain to be able to do that.
0: We've done it multiple times together, you and I. Mm. I would like to quickly touch on an experience that we shared. We went on a 12-step call. Yes. Together. I believe it was my very first 12-step call. You said, hey... We're going to go do this thing. And I couldn't say no, because that's what you told me to do. Don't say no. We went and visited with a man. And on our 12-step call, we are supposed to share our experience, strength, and hope as it pertains to our recovery from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. We met with this man. He was extremely receptive. Not too long after he passed away from his alcoholism. Mm -hmm. He was too far gone what do you say to the loved ones of that man as someone that is still alive in recovery yet this person didn't get it in time didn't want it
2: yeah i know you know in answer to that particular question and that particular mindset that you're talking about well let me ask you a question nick when you're out there drinking you know whether you're drinking because you wanted to or you didn't or because la, 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 all the craziness that we have inside our heads how happy were you as a drunk
0: at what period?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, yeah, I'm not
2: done with the happy days. How fucking horrifyingly miserable and lonely is it as an alcoholic?
0: Honestly, I could throw out some words, but... Yeah, there is no in, words. In my yeah. total and complete honesty, no words. Yeah, t- exactly. Can't describe. Ex-
2: you can't, exactly. That person has went through that pain, and now they're at peace. I have family members who have died from alcoholism. My brother, Pat. Brother Pat um, just couldn't get it, and Pat died basically from his alcoholism I'm homeless in the streets in Belfast. And you got to be really shitty drunk to do that, um, to die homeless in Ireland. And um, But he did. Pat is now with the boss. He's at peace. He doesn't have that horrifying fucking insane fucking committee ripping our heart and our heads apart. He doesn't have that anymore. He's got peace.
0: Your past, to say the least, was insane. Yes. Your childhood... Absolutely insane.
2: What mean? It was fine.
0: Yeah. We were it, fine. It was
2: great. It was great.
0: Great. Good times. Yeah. Things blew up. It was fun. Yeah. It was like fireworks.
2: Fireworks. Yeah. Big, big people fireworks.
0: Going yeah. through all those things, seeing all the death and destruction around mm-hmm. you, engaging in addiction, you're a sex and love addict, you're a debtor. I mean, all these things. Mm. There are so many people that blow their brains out like you were going to yeah. or yeah. die from their addiction or die from the firing squad. Yeah. All these things. Why, <laughs> why are you sitting here?
2: I don't. Fucking no! I I have asked that question of myself so many times. Why is it that I was able to get it, other people can't? All the other sh- I I have no goddamn idea.
0: How are you seeking that answer?
2: I can't. That's one of those. Um, the answer to that question is one of those questions where it's like, okay, God, I just died. I got some fucking questions for you, and that's one of the fucking questions. Why is it that I was able to get, I mean, and get this this wonderful, beyond beautiful gift called recovery which is so 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 much more than just stopping drinking drinking the drinking is just the first step you know they talk about the peeling of the onion man this thing is this thing this onion thing it just goes on forever and ever and it goes on forever and ever why am i able to get that onion peeled and other people can't i don't fucking know i don't know so yeah i got a question for you god hey fucker, i got some words for you i honestly i don't know the answer to that i wish i did or maybe i don't wish i did maybe i should just let go Let God and let God figure that shit out.
0: If you could go back in time, and I'm not talking about inwardly or in your Mm -hmm. head, Mm -hmm. I'm saying literally go back in time to visit your younger self that was going through all these Mm. traumas, all this despair, all this hate, all this abuse. What would you want to say to that child?
2: Somebody's going to take care of you, kid. Don't you worry about it. Somebody's going to take care of you. And by the way, you know who that person is? It's fucking you. Somebody's going to actually take care of you.
0: I asked it a second time because I'm going to use that in my PSA. (laughs) Gotcha, bitch. You
2: fucking filthy bastard! Hey,
0: I'm a, I, I engage in psychological warfare. That's one of my. It's a beautiful. Wasn't that good? It's a beautiful thing. You, I got a little rise out of you too. You're like I heard you said that. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. Fuck you too. Yeah. Fuck yourself, Mike. Hmm. What do you want your legacy as a human being to be?
2: My own personal legacy, or my message to the world?
0: We'll start with your own personal legacy.
2: A Very very, very proud Irishman. I'm proud of myself as an Irishman. I'm proud to be Irish. I also know that I am a good, decent human being now. I'm the person that I wanted to be when I was out there doing the craziness. I talked about my father and stuff. Well, I am a good father. I know that. Do I make mistakes? Yeah, of course. But yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. I'm a good, solid member of, of uh, my society. I am a damn good nurse. I'm proud of my profession. I'm proud of what I do, is, and I'm proud I'm, I'm proud of my profession. I am so fucking proud of us nurses right now. I mean, this shit that we've been dealing with, being an ICU nurse in this time and age of, of the age of COVID, I watch, oh, here's a great story for you, actually, my, my nurse manager.
0: Stop hitting the fucking table. Oh, shut the
2: fuck up, bitch. <laughs>
0: Sorry, Mike. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're not. Go fuck yourself.
2: So anyway, it was during, it was in the early ages of the, of the whole COVID situation, and um and we you know it's it was a terrifying. time. It still is. It's not as bad now, but it was a terrifying time to be a nurse because you knew that you're getting thrown into the pits. You knew that there's a very good chance that you might fucking die from this thing, and that you got the skills, so you're the person that's gonna be. I actually made the joke of you know we nurses right now is kind of like we're kind of like marines on the front beaches, and we're being told, okay, marines. Now, you were going up against an enemy that has uh, mortars, firebombs, bombs, uh, AR-15s galore. They have uh, Stuka dive bombers. They have, you know, tanks. They have all kinds of weaponry. Now, here are your standard issue flip-flops and shorts. Go to battle. (laughs) And that's what it really fucking felt like. Because you knew that you needed to go to battle because you're the only fucking cat to be able to do it. And I was so proud of, of my profession and of what we did when we said, yep, we'll, we'll storm that fucking beach no matter what. We know we don't got enough shit to do, but we know we got to do this because this is what we do. We're nurses. And I'm so proud of my profession for, for how we react to this. My nurse manager, perfect example of what I'm talking about. This in the very early days of the COVID, my nurse manager comes up every nurse is scared to that. We're all we're all talking to ourselves and oh my god and we, being an ICU nurse, I knew I was gonna get deployed to the ICU. Never happened, but I was I'd volunteered, I was fully expected to go to the ICU. Told later I couldn't because the packages then started to fill up and we they couldn't afford to let me go to the ICU. And the numbers went down. Thank you, Minnesota. Thank you, Governor, by the way. Thank you, Minnesota, for actually doing the right goddamn thing and keeping us nurses safe by keeping your own asses safe. So my nurse manager comes out to us and she goes, we're all like talking to us We're kind of a little nervous. And, you know, Carrie, Carrie goes, um, I need to have a meeting with y'all. She calls us all together. She goes, okay, guys, look, I, I, want, I want to say this to you guys. I get it. I know you guys are all scared. I get that. I get that. But I want you to change your thinking just a minute. And I want you to take a look at this from another perspective. Your patients are coming now into the recovery room. They're going in to have surgery. Going to surgery at the best times is a fucking terrifying thing to do. But now they're going in to have surgery done in a hospital where there's fucking covid and by the way oh you know what your family your loved ones the ones that you used to hold your fucking hand because they're the ones that held you through these tough times they can't fucking be there they are by themselves they are fucking terrified please I get you guys are scared, but you got to sit down and put that shit aside because your patients need you right now. And that triggered a switch in my fucking head right at that moment going, holy shit, she's right. Again, it's the old program program thing of get out of your own fucking mind, asshole. There's other people around you. Help those other people. That's what we nurses did, and that's what we nurses do. So I'm so proud of my profession. So there's part of the answer to your question.
0: What do you want your message to the world to be then, Mike? I wonder how many fucks are going to be in this one. (laughs) You don't have COVID, do you? No.
2: I'm, I'm COVID free. Thank God. You know, all kidding aside, it can be better. Let's fucking do this. It can all be better. Let's fucking do this.
0: And fuck the filth.
2: And fuck the filth.
0: Mike, what's rule number 62 all about?
2: Well, Rule 62. <laughs> okay, Rule 62 is such a beautiful, beautiful rule, okay? And the one way I heard it put, and it is, don't take yourself so goddamn seriously, is what the Rule 62 is. This is a very, very serious program we're dealing This is a life and death program. So for the love of Christ, don't take yourself so seriously. That's Rule 62.
0: He's been 86 from bars. Yes, but he follows Rule sixty-two. I do.
2: I do follow Rule you sixty-two. You like when I did that? I like uh, the number eighty-six, thing? sixty-two. Uh, not quite, but. It was nice. close. It was close. I it like it. It was close. Nice job. Thanks. Nice, nice touch. Thank you.
0: Speaking of thank you, hmm. Mike, thank you for being on today's program. Thank you for getting vulnerable. Thank you for... Jesus. I,
2: I don't have any feelings. I don't have feelings.
0: Yeah, fuck yourself. <laughs> thank you for being yourself. Thank you for being genuine. Thank you for being a nurse. Thank you for being you. That's the most important thing is you are just... Yourself, and that's the most beautiful thing.
2: And that is only because of the program of recovery. It is only because of working the twelve steps. And like I said earlier, for those of you who are newer, newer in this recovery process, don't fucking kill yourself. You don't know who the fuck you're killing. You are, in all likelihood killing a fucking beautiful human being filled with complexities. And by the way, for the record, while we're talking about such things, we all know about the committee, right? The committee where it's like you got these fucking... I know how my committee works, and I'm pretty sure it's how your all's committee works too. Well, you know what? I should do A. No, if I do A, then that means B's going to happen. Well, if I do B, then C's going to happen. No, B's going to happen. No, that's going to be bad, though. If I do C, if I do D. If D does that, then I'm going to go A. If you do A... To see, if I do this, it'll be bad. If I do this, it'll be bad. If I do that, it'll be bad. If I do that, it'll be really bad. No matter what I do, I'm fucked. That's how my fucking committee works. A constant ping-ponging of voices inside my own fucking head, telling me that all my options I've ever tried or ever will try is going to fucking fail, no matter what. Everything I do is going to fucking fail. It's complete shit. It's going to go to shit, no matter what. And ping, 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 ding, 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 Multiple voices going on, all saying the same crazy sort of thoughts, at the same, all at the same time, trying to get you to make a decision, folks. I can remember specifically. It was after, it was about a few years of sobriety where I suddenly went, holy fuck. And by the way, just for the record, it's father's after you do the steps. The fucking committee went away. The committee's fucking gone. That fucking insane, no, do I, does it come back? Of course. The committee comes back and then I just kind of go, shut the fuck. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. You're the committee. Shut the fuck up. I got the simple spiritual tools I could follow and the committee goes away again. The committee goes away and you get this fucking peace of mind. Actually, no. You get peace of heart and soul that you get from working this program. So there, take that.
0: My only response is, Mike, I love you. Love you too, huh? Thanks for being on.
2: Thank you, sir. Thank it's, you for having me.
0: No, it's, uh, I mean, you're welcome. Hey, I'm getting better at saying you're welcome. Good. Thank Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Fuck. I hate those. I those, are, those are the worst. It's been an honor to have you in the studio. Always a pleasure to see you, talk Judo. to you.
2: I'm so happy and it's such an honor to be The cat who gets to share what was taught to me because you get to share it with other people. That's how this thing works.
0: Every day? Yep. You saved my life, Mike.
2: I didn't. I'm just a cat. You're There's there's somebody else. I was a conduit.
0: you're, You're a conduit. I'm a conduit. You're a conduit cat.
2: I'm a conduit kind of cat.
0: C squared. C squared. I dig it.
2: With no C word.
0: No C word. No, 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 no. We're not, no. Let's,
2: let's, let's, no, 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 no. Let's talk about the C word. We have to tell a little story, folks. So I'm in nursing school, okay? I have to do this. You can it. I have no it. control
0: over this animal, so. <laughs> fucking. And, and he already here. knows that. Do you want to go on the soundboard here? I'll just fucking sit here.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm in nursing school, right? <laughs> That's my first week in this nursing program. Now, I'm from Northern Ireland. And where I'm from in Northern Ireland, in, in my particular part of the world, we use the C word all the time. No big deal. Grandmothers will say it to the grandchildren. That's how common it is. Really no big deal, unlike over here. So I'm in nursing school and I'm in my very first week of nursing program. The nursing instructor is talking about all cultural awareness is being aware of different cultures and different ways of looking at the world and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of stick my head And I'm, I'm surrounded by, this is in California, and I'm me and about 30, pretty much all white middle class women. And then there's me. I stick my head up, my hand up, and I go, yeah, I actually hear what you're saying there, um, you know, Miss Whitechick, because actually where I'm from, again, I'm from Northern Ireland, blah, 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 blah. We use the C word all the time, no big deal. Often, most often use male to male. It's a completely different understanding of the word. And I had these two delightful little girls next to me, these two little princesses, and I heard one say to the other one, what's the C word, folks? I came so close. I came so close. But I also know, if I had of... I would never have become a nurse. I would have booted out right there. That's my C-word story.
0: And that's why you can't say it on the show. I know. Because then you can't be a nurse. That's the rule. That's the rule? I strip you of your nurse-ship. My
2: my nurse nurse ship?
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is where I give you the opportunity to eh, come close to my sign-off line. Nobody's ever going to beat it, but I'd like you to have your own sign-off line. Mike, even though you've been talking for hours and hours and hours, I want you to say... Your sign off line. And then I'll say mine.
2: This is talking about the this is one of my favorite readings in the lower books. It's actually in the the twelve and twelve and it talks about the first
0: step. Why don't you just say the fucking line?
2: I'm I'm leading up you fucked up You don't
0: lead up to a line.
2: You do, you know.
0: You just say the line. Say the fucking line.
2: Many of us last gaspers could not grasp this unpalatable truth of being powerless. But those of us who did grasp this program with all the fervor of which the drowning sees life preservers and almost invariably we stood up and got well. That's the fucking hope of this program. That's the hope of recovery. If you want this thing, you can have it. You do not have to take another drink again as long as you fucking live. Day at a time.
0: And always remember to be good to yourselves. It's important. As always here on Authentic and keeping authentic, we have to pay credit where credit is due. The musical stylings you heard on today's program. To open the show, you always hear Mamma 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 Mad Madness by Muse. At our first break, you heard I'm Shipping Up to Boston by Dropkick Murphy's. And to take us off into the night sky is my dedication to one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Irish Mike, with the song Asshole by Dennis Leary.
1: Folks, I'd like to sing a song about the American dream. About me. About you. About the way our American hearts beat way down in the bottom of our chests. About that special feeling we get in the cockles of our hearts. Maybe below the cockles. Maybe in the subcockle area. Maybe in the liver. Maybe in the kidneys. Maybe even in the colon. We don't know. I'm just a regular Joe with a regular job. I'm your average white suburbanite slob. I like football and porno and books about war. I got an average house with a nice hardwood floor. My wife and my job, my kids and my car. My feet on my table and a Cuban cigar. But sometimes ain't enough to keep a man like me interested oh no no way Uh uh-uh no I've gotta go out and have fun at someone else's expense oh yeah 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 yeah. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people be Summertime saying how about this heat? I'm on Echo